ops, and a little bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Welcome, folks, to tonight's episode of the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and I'm joined tonight by our good old friend, Uncle Mark. Yeah, I'm mostly here. I jammed my right thumb in my headset when I was putting it back on, and it was really awkward and embarrassing and stupid and... <laughs> that is anyway, that is one of the strangest injuries I've ever heard of. Injured by headphones. I, I, hey, I, I, uh, I, I can't, I, I can't. Like, yeah, I feel dumb. You'll, you'll be able to appreciate this story, Mark, and I promise it'll be brief, and then we'll get to the main topic, folks. But uh, sure, my dad volunteers with our local ambulance, right? So back in the '90s, I was still a teenager, right? And he gets called to an ambulance call and he comes back and he tells me the story of what occurred. Somebody now 90s. Remember, 90s. That's key here. Uh, a man yeah. had beaten another man with a laptop. Oh, <laughs> yeah. A 90s laptop. <laughs> so so first of all, ouch, that's going to hurt. Yeah. And second of all, that's, an expensive that's not assault. cheap to replace. <laughs> That is yeah. an expensive assault. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. So, yeah. yeah. Because my my ThinkPad would probably bounce off of most people's skulls at this point. I know, right? So. They're not that heavy, right? I mean, yeah, you could do some damage, yeah. mate, especially with the edge, right? They're pretty firm edges. I bet it would dent the yeah, laptop, but it would hurt. Could, 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 could cut a bitch with it, but yeah. I mean, a beating by a 90s lap. I had laptops in the 90s. 90s laptops were heavy. Beat. They were like freaking, it was like a lead acid battery, you know? <laughs> because it might have had one. It probably did. <laughs> All right. Sheesh. So that's our story for tonight. Good night, folks. No. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good night. Yeah. <coughs> Mark's choking on his Buffalo Trace. Is it Buffalo Trace or something yeah. else? It is Buffalo Trace. I'm hoping that my son-in-law, well, he'll be my son-in-law in a month, took the hint, and there will be Buffalo Trace delivered with my daughter when she visits us tomorrow. Did you like... I've been on vacation for two weeks. Did you like tell him oh, that I, it was almost empty I or something? Outright, I outright told him when we saw them before I left for vacation. We need hey, more. Lucas, <laughs> I'm almost out of Buffalo Trace and my birthday's coming up. Just, you know, hint, hint. <laughs> the The not-so-subtle hint, right? It was not subtle at all. The not dude so. takes good care of me. Takes good care of me. Takes good care of my daughter. So. That's important, though. It's important to have this. To have that in a in a future son-in-law. I wish you the same luck when your spawn start marrying people. Yeah, well, anyway. I mean, we're at a different phase of that right now, where we're taking care of my wife. You help. So. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I I could speak highly of myself and say that they they got they they got a good son-in-law, but. Uh, I'm not that vain. Yeah. Anyway, tonight. They probably did all right. So they could folks, have done a lot worse. <laughs> they could have done a lot worse. Uh, we've had yeah, this absolutely. nice series on cloud, right? We talked about cloud terminology. We talked about, uh, what was the second one? Lift and shift. And then we talked about microservices, which is Jason and I last episode. Now, between last episode and this one, um, a friend and colleague that's also part of the Enable Sysadmin uh, community had he heard our last show or heard some of our recent shows and he sent me this article uh it's basically a, a blog post from david heinemeyer i don't know how to pronounce that, heinemeyer, hansen. heinemeyer hansen david heinemeyer hansen who we're gonna just call him david but he's got a cool ass wicked 
three names. Right. So um, I didn't know this, but apparently he's like the brain behind Ruby on Rails. He's like, and I've per. Like yeah, I've used Ruby on Rails. I like I've programmed in it. Yeah, not I mean, well, I've... but I've programmed. Yeah. In it. <laughs> Add that to the list of languages I've programmed in not well. <laughs> poorly. Yeah. You have programmed poorly. Right, but uh, so anyway, he's also um, part of. He's the co-founder of Basecamp and an email service called Hey, which apparently is like an email service that's not. It's like. Hey. They, they claim they're changing the way uh, email is utilized. I didn't look in, look too deeply into exactly how or why, but, you know, whatever. Well, they have something called an IM box, which I already hate. Um, on the other hand, it's called Hey. Hey. Yeah. Um, hey. And uh, he's also an author. He's written, it looks like, four books. So, you know, it's, uh, you know. You know, that's that's cool stuff. He's got, in other words, I think what we can say is he's not some loser tech journalist with no real world experience. He actually runs tech companies. He has an understanding of programming, an understanding of computers, an understanding of of, of uh, services. I hope he can still hear me, Scar. Yeah. Right. So, so this guy's got some credibility. Right. Jayscar is in the chat saying, I'm not sure which mic Uncle Mark is using, but I can he still hear him. Does that mean you shouldn't be able to, like, should I mute him? Is that is, is, is he a problem? And I, <laughs> I am making little background and, and low-level comments. Like, I don't know if anybody caught party or world when I started singing it. This is a good mic. Some dude sent it to me. Some, yeah, someone. Actually, technically, patrons bought it for you. Although they thank you, listeners. Yes, now it's better. What was wrong? Okay, well, I don't want to go too deep into um, uh, Mark's right. microphone because I think it's fine. Uh, maybe that maybe there's some with the stream going on, but the recording should be good. So whatever, we're gonna roll with it. Mike, all right, Mike. So anyway, uh, the article that he wrote was back on October nineteenth, and don't mute Uncle Mark. <laughs> okay, I won't. I won't mute Uncle Mark. Uh, it was back on October nineteenth. You know, like a whole week ago. <laughs> a little mm -hmm. over a week ago and it's why we're leaving the cloud and the we he's talking about dun, dun, dun. yeah the, the we the we he's talking about of course are things like Basecamp and hey um so what i wanted to do he brings up some really interesting points why are you hitting your mic I was just making sure it was using the right source because I was playing up my audio sources earlier oh. when the thing we're going to talk about in chat, and I was just absolutely verifying it's going through this mic, and it is. Okay. Anyway, um, now you went and derailed me. Okay, so the the article you brings are, up- But you are some, easily distracted. I am. Yeah, it brings up some interesting points, and what I wanted to do was basically just, it's not a terribly long article, but it brings up some things that we have- uh, we could probably discuss a bit. So I'm going to kind of read through maybe even all of it word for word. And as we go, we're going to talk about the different points that he raises. So yeah, sure. Um, he starts out, he says, uh, Basecamp has had one foot in the cloud for well over a decade. And hey, uh, yeah, hey, 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 do I have to say it that way? I can't say it that way. Has been running. No, there, but I'm going to say it every time you say hey. Has been running there exclusively since it was launched two years ago. Uh, we've run extensively in both Amazon's cloud and Google's cloud. 
We've run on bare virtual machines. We've run on Kubernetes. We've seen all the cloud has to offer and tried most of it. It's finally time to conclude renting computers is mostly a bad deal for medium-sized companies like ours with stable growth. The savings promised in, or yeah, the savings, the savings promised in reduced complexity never materialized. So we're making our plans to leave. So, so this is good. I think something to keep in mind. Uh, I like he's qualifying his situation, right? Right. He's yep. not saying the cloud won't work for anybody. He's saying he's a medium-sized company, which implies that you know maybe for very big companies or very tiny companies, what he observes may not be true. But yep. Let's. Uh, and the yeah, the next paragraph starts to touch on that already. He says the cloud excels at two ends of the spectrum where only one end was ever relevant for us. The first end is when your application is so simple and low traffic that you that you really do save on complexity by starting with fully managed services. And that makes sense, right? You got a small enough application. Mm -hmm. You just kind of drop into a cloud provider and say, I need, uh, you know, a WordPress. And you click a couple buttons and you've got a WordPress. That's just an example, right? I know a lot of businesses aren't going to run a WordPress, but you know what I mean? Application comes out of a can, you run the application. You need email, you spin up some email addresses on cloud provider X or Gmail or something like that. And off you go, right? Um, I have to start highlighting where I'm at so I don't lose my spot. Here we go. Uh, this is the shining path that Heroku forged. What's Her- Heroku was a early. That's a. Uh, I, I had to Google it. Yeah. It's a cloud platform as a service supporting several programming languages. Okay. And that and it supported. It originally supported just Ruby. And the one that has since by pay. Well, the one that has since been paved by Render, which I guess is another similar service, and others. It yeah. remains. Let me let me help you with. Yeah, there's totally uh, Google, a, a link to okay, click there. Unified cloud to build and run your apps and website with free TLS, global CDN. Da, da, da. These, so these look like smaller. Yeah. These are like not as big as Amazon type situations. Right. It remains a fabulous way to get started when you have no customers. Fabulous. And it'll carry you quite far even once or even once you start having some. Then you'll later be faced with a good problem. Once the bills grow into the stratosphere and usage picks up, but that's a reasonable trade-off. Now, what he's referring to here is um, anyone who's ever built or managed a data center knows there's a bunch of costs there, right? And in order to run a website, Mm -hmm. you need something to run it on. So you can either pay a web hosting provider, you know, before cloud providers were really the big deal. You can pay like a web hosting provider or someone who designs and runs websites for you to run your website. Uh, or you can stand up your own small data center, or you can put a machine in your basement like I did for a long time. And then, of course, you have fees for internet services, and you have fees for, like, what if the power goes out? What if the heating and cooling is unmanageable, right? What if the room you have it in gets too hot and your server overheats, right? So these are all things you got to think about to make a truly enterprise-grade platform, right? Uh, And what the cloud does is it takes all that away. You don't have to worry about that, because all you do is you go to Amazon and you click a couple buttons, or you go to whatever cloud provider you want, you click a couple buttons, and for a couple dollar or a couple cents an hour, you have a relatively stable, until it's not, platform <laughs> that you don't have to worry about heating and cooling and power and, you know, 
earthquakes and <laughs> power outages and lightning storms and snowstorms to take out foam poles and Ooh. all that stuff, right? Because you're in a cloud provider that has already taken that into account and builds it into the price of your tiny little EC2 instance or whatever you're running on. Right? Anything else to add to that, Mark? I think you're being super optimistic, but okay. I, the article will counter some of the things you're saying later because I actually... Oh, yeah. It. That's my point. I'm, I'm trying to go with like... This is the sales pitch for the cloud, right? And you're right. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to touch more on this as we go. All right. So, and then the second is when your load is high, or sorry, when your load is highly irregular. Highly irregular. Highly irregular. This is highly irregular. Um, when you have wild swings or towering peaks in usage, when the baseline is a, yeah, it's a sliver of your largest needs or when you have no idea whether you need 10 servers or 100. There's nothing like the cloud for when that happens, right? So what he's talking about is bursty traffic, right? Like you run a business that maybe gets slammed at Christmas time or gets slammed when ticket sales open or like when I worked at the college during registration, right? When kids had to register for their, sorry, young adults had to register for their classes. Registration was a time that we had to have a whole lot of capacity available for the system that let you do your registrations. Um, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. 90% of the year, the thing was sitting there almost idle because it didn't get a whole lot of hits, right? All right. So this, this makes me think of one of our mutual hobbies, and that is online gaming. Yep. There, there was a time, and I give credit to the cloud for this one, there was a time when when – purveyors of online games had to host their own stuff in their own data center and they would often vastly underestimate yep. demand so launch day would come and you'd, they'd be slammed i'm looking at you blizzard and actually it's still kind of bad sometimes i think there yeah um launch day would come they'd be slammed and you'd be staring at the login prompt or in a queue or it just wouldn't work and they would be trying to stand up new servers Right. A lot of online games nowadays leverage cloud services, especially uh, online games that don't require that you have a home server. Right. And if you've never done an MMO, that's going to be an alien concept to you. But the idea is that there's different named servers, generally named after the lands and the realm or the characters or the whatever. Something and the they're war, separate yeah. copies. Yeah, they're separate copies of the whole world. And so if you want to play with your friends, you you meet on the same realm. And what it does is rather than having everybody in one big universe, it's multiple copies of it. And then the populations are more reasonable. Right. But so. So that model, you still can run into the challenges of bad demand forecast. You stand up certain more realms, more unique realms, and then. When you have that initial player drop off, you've got realms that are barely populating and you got to start consolidating. But for online games that don't use that realm system, the cloud's a friggin' godsend because, right. yeah, you can you can just scale up cloud-based resources as fast as you need to deal with the player-based demands. And then when your population start to drop, you, turn it off. you can scale back down. Yep. Yeah. Right. So he continues, there's nothing like the cloud when that happens. Like we learned when launching, hey, hey, <laughs> and suddenly three hundred thousand users signed up for or signed up to try our service in three weeks instead of our forecast thirty thousand in six months. Right. So again, what he's describing there is 
they couldn't account, they couldn't <coughs> predict how many people were going to sign up for their service, just like the Blizzard example that you just gave. So they guesstimated, they guesstimated wrong, and because they were in the cloud, they were able to meet that demand, presumably, he doesn't go in to say that, but he implies it, uh, because they were able to expand quickly, right? So good stuff. Yep. All right, and then he goes on to say, but neither of those two conditions apply to us today. They never did. Dun, dun, dun. They never did for Basecamp. Yet by continuing mm -hmm. to operate in the cloud, we're paying an at times almost absurd premium for the possibility that it could. It's like paying a quarter of your house's value for earthquake insurance when you don't live anywhere near a fault line. Yeah, sure. If somehow a quake two states over opens the earth so wide that it cracks your foundation, you might be happy to have it. But it doesn't feel proportional, does it? That's a, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's onto something here. Yeah, right. I think it's a good example. It's the usual thing of, you know, there's risk. What's reasonable risk, right? And in this case, it sounds like reasonably there's no risk that their, their uh, applications are going to be under such heavy load unpredictably that they could really leverage the cloud. Now, again, he admitted that that did happen with Hay, but I guess that leveled off. Hey. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now he goes, let's take Hay. Hey. <laughs> As an example, we're paying over half a million dollars per year for database, RDS, and search, ES. I think that's Elasticsearch. Is that what they call that? That is Elasticsearch, yeah. Uh, Elasticsearch, Elasticsearch, Elastigwoman. <laughs> She's an incredible. Yeah, right. Uh, services from Amazon. Yes. When you're processing email from many tens of thousands of customers, there's a lot of data to analyze and store. But this still strikes me as rather absurd. Do you know how many insanely beefy servers you could purchase on a budget of half a million dollars per year? Okay, so I'm going to stop there because um, the, the next paragraph is, is going to... Uh, well, rebuttal that, but so right, is half it a million a year. That so, could let's see here. Twenty. So let's see. Let's take half a million, five hundred k. Expensive servers. When I was back at Merck, were twenty five thousand dollars fully loaded. Uh huh. So you could buy twenty. You could buy twenty. And again, those came fully loaded. Lots of RAM, lots of processor, you, lots right. of disk space. So you could buy twenty of them for one for the price of one year. Right. Right. And, and then you course, own them and they have right. a lifespan of probably right. four or five years. Then, of course, you have to power them. You have to cool them. You have to have the expertise to manage them. You have to have the space for them. Right. So these are all the arguments that cloud providers will throw at you saying you don't want to run your own data center. Let us run the data center for you. Tell me when you haven't. Tell me when you've heard this before. Do we really want our core competencies to be in infrastructure management? Right. I heard that a lot when I was at the college. That's what I heard in the year or so up to when I vacated the premises. <laughs> well, see, the problem is that infrastructure competencies or infrastructure services, everybody, when, you're, when you've got an infrastructure team that's doing their job, it looks like it's a no effort situation. Right. Right. Once you take that team away, then you realize just how complicated this crap actually is. Right. So he goes on 
Now, the argument always goes, and you'll see why I went down this path, because, and Mark, I'm sure you've read this already, but, you know, thank, you, right. thank you for humoring me. Uh, now, the argument I've always... Customer, I've watched customers live this. Yeah, the argument always goes, sure, but you have to manage those machines. The cloud is so much simpler. The savings will, the savings will all be there in labor costs, except... No. Bullshit. <laughs> except no. Anyone who thinks running a major service like Hey... Hey, or Basecamp <laughs> in the cloud is simple, has clearly never tried. And I'm going to have to agree with that, right? There's a ton of, so maybe you don't have to worry about power and cooling and ethernet and network layers and VLANs and firewalls and how do you rack and stack, Except right? But well, hold on. Some, of that, actually... some of that you do. You're right. But I mean, like, you don't have to physically rack a, a Cisco firewall and have an you engineer have on phys- staff, right? You don't have to have someone that's certified in Cisco and in, <sighs> in whatever your OS is and in, you know, cabling, right? Cabling was kind of a big deal at the college because, yes, I can make cables, but I can't certify the cables. And they wanted certified cables to make sure they weren't going to fail in three years, right? So they had to buy cables, right? And these are all added expenses, right? However, when you go to the cloud, you just trade that for learning how to manage things like, you know, the the uh, software-defined equivalents of most of those things. You still have to be able to figure out. Yeah, which. Things. You still have to be able to figure out firewalling. It's just that it's abstracted away from you and harder for you to really get to the guts of. Right. And and software-defined networking and software-defined whatever is not necessarily even easier. Right. Right. The only difference is you I, don't I, I have would argue to, that. You don't have to... The one thing you save on is the physical piece of it. You don't have to rack and stack, and you don't have to own a data center with floor space, and you don't have to run cables. But those things... Like, I don't want to marginalize those as, as though they are nothing or free or something. But I feel like when you're talking about the grand scheme of a data center, adding that on isn't that much. It's agree? certainly not. It's certainly not half a million dollars a year in renting. Yeah, I right. don't know. Right. Right. So the other thing is, how far in this paragraph did you get? Uh, I'm. I just finished. The cloud is simple. Has clearly. Yeah, has clearly never tried. Yeah, never dot, tried. Dot, dot. Some things are simpler, others more complex. But on the whole, I've yet to hear of organizations at our scale being able to materially, material, yeah, materially shrink their operations team just because they moved to the cloud. And that is something that is absolutely the case because. In my, when I was Tamming still, before I ascended to becoming an evil manager, every single one of my customers were doing something cloud-like, but they were still Linux servers. They were still – they still required talented people to know how to deal with them. Just because some moron can click on, on an EC2 button and stand up an Amazon Linux system, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't do it. All you then have is a box with Amazon Linux on it. You ha- you don't ha- you don't have anything really configured, and most companies have their own 
golden images or their own software packages, their own configurations they need yep. as part of as part of their system. So you actually you don't end up getting rid of well, you can if you're a dummy, you don't end up reducing your operation staff because they're they still need to actually functionally deploy, functionally maintain. Yeah. And and secure and patch like all this I, stuff. I suppose that if you lived in the dream world where <coughs> everything you ran was some sort of a platform as a service, where all you worried about was the the language on up, right? So like think containers or even Lambda, something like that. If you could do it 100% in that, never had to touch a Linux command line, then theoretically you wouldn't need operations or platform folks. But realistically... Unless you're tiny, I don't feel like that happens. You're always going to end up with something that doesn't fit in that box, at least in today's landscape, uh, that requires yeah. a Linux shell or requires a Windows server, right? Yep. So, um, yeah, you're always going to have those folks. You're always going to have people that are, you know, and, and I agree with the statement, right? I, I've seen folks move to the cloud. I've never seen them be able to just say, nope. Oh, I hit my mic. Nope, we don't need we know thirty percent. Yeah, of we don't need our Linux team anymore. Yeah, and, no, you don't. Yeah, like, I also wouldn't want to see that happen, right? Because I want to see Linux admins stay gainfully employed. <laughs> right, but that was that the was always is, our fear at the beginning, yeah. right? When the cloud first showed up, it's like, oh man, we're all going to be out of jobs. Well, here we are. No, you're trading. You're, tra you're trading. You're trading one. You're trading one set of complexities for another set of complexities. Yeah, yeah. and you know. That's just the reality. Right. All right. So the article goes on. It was a wonderful marketing coup, though. Sold in sold with analogies like, well, you don't run your own power plant either, do you? Right. Or are infrastructure services really your core competency? Then lathered up with a thick coat of new, 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 new. There's more news in there than I, I put more news. Uh, paint. And the cloud has beamed through brightly on the or only, yeah, beam, beam so, has beam beamed so through so brightly only the Luddites would consider running their own servers in its shadow. How many times have you heard that one before? I, I felt like I was on the on the on the receiving end of that one a number of times. This is it, man. Why are we running our own servers? Why? Why does why do we want infrastructure to be one of our quote unquote Core competencies. I've heard that exact phrase, which is why they struck home with me so much. <laughs> and my response was always performance in the cloud is sometimes very difficult to manage. It's unreliable. The cloud is not as stable as your own hardware. It's not as secure as your own hardware. And quite frankly, yeah, not everything, not everything's going to work. Right. Yeah, and and as was brought up in the chat here, I don't know if you're watching the chat, uh, you always run into issues, or I should say eventually you're going to run into issues, where you really wish you had access to a, you know, one of your network devices, or the hardware, for example, or, you know, metrics that you can get from, like, a baseboard management controller or something, right? You don't get that in the cloud. And I, I ran into this with one of my customers as a TAM, they were having a performance yeah. issue, and I'm going to try not to go into too many details. One, because it's not really quite the point of the story, and two, because the customer is the customer, right? 
but they ha were having a performance problem, and the cloud provider was involved in trying to troubleshoot the performance problem. The cloud provider insisted it was a RHEL problem. <laughs> our RHEL engineers, or our RHEL uh, support engineers, insisted it was not a RHEL problem, and it was, in fact, a network problem. And uh, all it turned into was a bunch of finger pointing. Now, I'm not going to... I'm not going. I don't want to sound negative on either side of the fence. the The support engine, the support folks at the cloud provider did their best. The support folks on our side did their best, but there were pieces neither of us had any visibility into, and that was the problem. Eventually, the problem just vanished on its own. No one figured out what the problem was, and it stopped happening. All I can tell you, Amazon is trying to make money. And they're going to try and 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 they're one of the ways they're going to do that is to try to have ten tenants, you know, they're going to try and have full servers. When I was working with my daughter when she was back at Seton Hall and doing some stuff with chemistry, we stood up a server for her department that could run like analysis stuff. Mm -hmm. When that when that was at full CPU, it was only getting to use about fifty to sixty percent of what we were actually paying for because VM stat showed that half the time the processor was being stolen from. Right. Because when you're on a KVM hypervisor, VM stat is aware of that and Amazon uses KVM. Right. So Amazon pay makes you pay the full price per hourly price for that core and is letting you use at times, sometimes it dropped under 30% was available. Dang. Because the the underlying hypervisors were saturated. Yeah. Now I wonder if Do you think Amazon reduced the hourly charge by down, you know, seventy percent at that point? No. I wonder if they you can not. work around that with their instance types. Aren't there different instant types that guarantee more CPU? I wonder if that might have been uh, maybe, but it would have been, would have been more expensive. Oh, absolutely it would have been more expensive. <laughs> I'm not I'm not defending them. I'm just saying, like, is that the selling point, right? Oh, you don't want your CPU stolen away? Pay us more money. <laughs> well, yeah. The point is, especially if you are not a deep technical person. You'd never know. Like, that that enraged me discovering that. Mm -hmm. I was legitimately pissed off. Um, and, and, and that, you know, whatever, man. I get it. They're a business. I get it. People worship Jeff Bezos, whatever. <laughs> but they're making they're making a fortune providing what is sometimes barely adequate service. Right. Absolutely. All right. So the next paragraph goes into like profit margins and stuff. And I don't know if I necessarily want to go into every little bit of it. It just basically summarizes that Amazon is raking in profits. Um, and they recently announced that they're going to expand their hardware life cycle from what was it, four to five years? Hold on, where is it here? Just by the end. Yeah, they're basically trying this, to squeeze more money yep, out of the this, equipment. This margin is bound to soar now that the firm has said that it plans to extend the useful life of its servers from four years to five. Now, uh, at the college, our general our our standard lifespan was five years, and I can tell you that you can get five years out of a server. However, you can. We didn't. We probably didn't run our servers as hard as a cloud provider does, right? Like those things see a ton of workload all day long. Ours probably didn't see nearly as much. Ba so, based on my experience with uh, with Abby and the Seton Hall Chemistry Department, yeah, yeah. 
All right, and it's networking equipment from five years to six years. So, uh, and that, that's not happening right now. It just says in the future. It doesn't give a date. That's not the point of the article. But the, the point is that they're making lots of money on all this renting computers to you. So, of course, they want to sell it to you. And um, they're only going to make that better for them <laughs> and possibly worse for you right. by running on older hardware than, uh, than they were. All right. Uh, And then he even goes on to say, which is fine. Of course, it's expensive to rent your computers from someone else, but it's never presented in those terms. The cloud is sold as computing on demand, which sounds futuristic and cool and very much not like something as mundane as renting computers, even though that's mostly what it is. (laughs) Womp womp. Now, again, right, devil's advocate advocate here. It's more than just renting computers. There's a whole bunch of APIs and infrastructure (laughs) and whatever wrapped around that. Uh, it's not like you're literally renting a computer, like a laptop or something that you can just do general compute on. Um, but the analogy is pretty sound, I think, right? Like I would say for for many for for I come from the corporate use case mm-hmm. in most in most cases, and and it is very much renting virtual computers. You're renting VMs. That's what an EC2 instance is. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Now, again, like we've talked about, making cloud-native applications means that you're not just renting computers. You're renting compute and a platform, right? But it's still, the concept is still the same, I suppose. All right. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) We're about to go into philosophy. Yeah. All right. And this is actually where I like where this article turns. All right. And I've, I've said this before on the podcast, so stop me when you've heard these statements. Uh, okay, I'm not going to stop you. But this, but this isn't just about cost. It's about what kind of internet we want to operate in the future. It strikes me as downright tragic that this decentralized wonder of the world is now largely operating on computers owned by a handful of mega corporations. If only, or sorry, if one of the primary AWS regions goes down, seemingly half the internet go, it goes offline, along with it. And that's, sorry, uh, this is not what DARPA designed, right? So anybody who remembers internet history, this was, the internet was designed to be a decentralized network that had many links between nodes, and it was supposed to be able to withstand things like wars and whatnot, so the communication could stay up. It was, it was developed by DARPA. Are you going to say something, Mark? Well, I was going to say... And this is not a hypothetical situation. This happens at least once a year, I think. Oh, yeah. Some cloud provider loses a node or loses a link or some routing table gets shunted off to China on accident. uh, And all of a sudden, the Internet is coming to its knees because DNS and routing and all this stuff is handled by this one massive data center, right? We both took a drink at the same time. Sorry for the uh, silence. All right. Never um, apologize for your alcoholism. (laughs) Thus, I consider it a duty that, yeah, duty. I said duty. Thus, I consider it a duty (laughs) that we at 37 Signals, I don't know, is that the name of like his parent company? I don't know what 37 Signals is. Maybe. Signals. Uh, That we at 37 Signals. I got 37 Signals and a flag ain't one. I don't know. (laughs) Do our part to swim against the stream. We have, I'm doing my part. Yep. A little bit of Starship Troopers. Yeah, right. We I'm have, doing my part. We have a business model that is incredibly compatible with owning hardware and writing it off over many years. 
growth trajectories that are mostly predictable, expert staff who might as well employ their talents operating our own machines uh, as those belonging to Amazon or Google. And I think there are plenty of other companies in similar boats. But before we more broadly can set sail back towards lower cost and decentralized shores, we need to, or yeah, we need to turn, we need to turn rudder of our collective conversation away from the cloud-serving marketing nonsense about running your own power plant. Up until very recently, and this is this was the one that really hits me, and it's, it's, it's the close of the yep. article, which is like a perfect point. Up until very recently, everyone ran their own servers, and much of the progress in sorry, and much of the progress in tooling, tooling that enabled the cloud is available on your own machines as well. Don't let the entrenched cloud interests dazzle you into believing that running your own setup is too complicated. Everyone and their dog did it. To get the internet Run. off the ground. Yes, including my dog. My dog runs a server. It's Linux, too. Uh, and it's only gotten easier since. It's time... Yellow part, dog Linux. It's time to part the clouds and let the internet shine through. Now, this is the statement that really gets me, all right? So, like, bottom lines and, and budgets and CapEx versus OpEx and simplicity aside, this is what really gets me, right? The internet was designed in a way that was supposed to make it fault-tolerant and easy for anybody to set up and use uh, on whatever hardware they wanted to use. This, and You might remember this same argument from when we talked about Metaverse stuff, when, when Zuckerberg was trying to claim his birthright, right? Um, cloud and providers, he seems to be losing, which gives me much pleasure. <laughs> cloud providers are slowly but surely, or I shouldn't say cloud providers. It's not necessarily their fault. They're just trying to make a buck. Um, but our dependence on cloud providers is taking that away from us, Right. And it's again, it's yep. not their fault. It's not business's fault. They're doing what makes sure sense, right? It's definitely their fault. Well, business is generally not driven by ideals. It's driven by the bottom line. It's driven by money. It's driven by what costs less, what what lets them operate at, at right. the most profitable margins, right? Um, the, the problem is that currently that the, the visibility of what is most profitable are cloud services, right? For Amazon, I, I to me... One of the compelling arguments that he's making in this article is that you might be being flummoxed into believing that you're saving money when you, in fact, are not. Right. It right. very well could be – it could be cheaper and more effective for you to be running uh, running your stuff in-house. Right. And I've said that for years. So I, I'm a firm believer that when you're designing an application or starting a business or whatever – project you're starting you need to pick the right tool for the job right so it makes yeah if better if, than picking the wrong tool if you can if you can work on whatever it is that you're trying to build and you can do it cheaper in the cloud then do it in the cloud start with the cloud if you outgrow the cloud that's where it becomes problematic, right? Because if, if you've designed it to optimize your application for a specific cloud provider or even general cloud principles, it means that if you ever find yourself in a situation like they are here in the article, it makes it harder to move away, right? So my application is set up so that it depends on, say, Amazon. And now I decide Amazon's too expensive. <laughs> Uh, even if I want to move to another cloud provider, 
that's harder. If I want to move back to on-prem, that's harder because now I have to re-architect things so that they work in more traditional ways, right? So these are things you need to think about. And and I, I apply that methodology to anything, whether it's IT or, you know, building something for my Jeep, right? Like I... <laughs> When I come to a crossroads and there's and there's a this way will block me from doing other things, I think real hard about doing that first. Anyway, any more thoughts there, Mark? We're at the end of the article, and uh, I feel like we we haven't gone on nearly as long as normal, and I feel weird about that. Well, <laughs> we're allowed to have a nice tight discussion. What? <laughs> I we are. You know, first of all, you should absolutely absolutely send David a link to our show. Hopefully he'll listen to it and get a kick out of it. I hope so too. Um, <laughs> but I mean, he just, he, he puts in very eloquent words, things I've said for years. Yeah. And, and I was the guy standing, I was the, that's what struck me. I was the guy article. standing up at Merck saying, don't be fooled people. And again, I've talked about the Merck situation because Merck was, was because we, we had a whole class, a subnet that we, yeah, trade it to Amazon for credits. Yep. The attitude there was, oh, it's this isn't costing us any money, although it would down the road. And again, I, I've had I've seen customers like backtrack on all in on the cloud crap. Yeah. Yeah. Because they realize it's not just it's not magic. You yep. still need people to know what they're doing. And sometimes sometimes when you put your app in the cloud, especially if it's more of a classic server server based app, it just doesn't perform as well and it's more expensive. Yep. Yeah. If you re if you re-architect with microservices, then maybe. But if you're running a Linux box, maybe it doesn't need to friggin' be an Amazon. Ugh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Now again though, it does come down to scale, right? Like I run my own personal stuff on a cloud provider. It's not Amazon. It's a cheaper one. It's DigitalOcean. Uh, but yeah, I, I like I run my stuff on a physical box behind the 3D printer. Yeah, right. But you don't run a public facing website on that, I'm assuming. I run a public facing game server, too. Yeah. And I could run a public facing website if I wanted to. Yeah, that gets harder when you're, when you're running like. Business like services, right? And that's that's why I'm, I'm not, running. though. Yeah, exactly. You're not right. 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 For the price I pay for a DigitalOcean droplet, it, it doesn't make sense to bring it in-house. I could, and I've thought about it a number of times. I've already got the machine in the basement, but I'd have to do things like upgrade my internet service to allow those ports because my ISP is stupid. And unless you have commercial access, no, they're you, mean. you don't get port 80 open. Um, yeah, yeah, because... They What's going on over there? You know, that's the kids outside in the hallway playing with the dog. So, you know, I locked the door oh, okay. so they couldn't come in. So now they hit the door with things. <laughs> I thought I thought I heard them knocking earlier. Uh, they they did. They did because they tried to open the door and it was locked. <laughs> so they knocked instead. Maybe they'll learn. <laughs> Maybe they'll learn. All right. Unlikely. Folks, I, I think we'll close up the first half of the show then. Um, if you well, I'll go through the usual routine. If you want to listen to the second half of the show, look up episode 128B in your podcast app. If you're watching us live, then you should just kind of hang on. We're going to go to a quick break and we're going to come back on the live stream. We're not going to like start a new one or anything. Just yep. hang out, listen to the cool music. If you don't like the cool music, just mute it. <laughs> um, some of some of our listeners have muted this whole thing. I'm sure. Probably. Probably. They like the cloud, so they want to hear the, the bad talking. Um, if you bad are listening, talk. if you're listening and if you're listening audio only and you want to watch us live, 
Check us out on YouTube and Twitch. Just look for the Iron System in podcast. Go to ironsystemin.com for all the details to find whatever the heck you want for social medias and our Discord community and all that stuff. And we're going to go to a break. And we will see you guys in, I don't know, let's call it five minutes. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, whatever. Five minutes seems reasonable. Five minutes does seem reasonable. All right. So, all right. We'll be back, folks. <laughs>